0: And Nahum's a great prophet and is called down judgment on some adversaries of the Lord. And hopefully we're going to see that from this truth of this minor prophet that Jesus is our refuge. And I know Jesus is not named per se in Nahum, but we will see how he is indicated as the king that is coming. Um, the one that proclaims peace, and so we can continue to put our trust in him. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the word. We're just going to read Nahum 1, 1 through 15, and then um, get into it this morning. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dry. From you come one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall you, your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. This is the, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're not, it's not lost on us that Nahum proclaims that um, the power of the Lord is in the whirlwind, in the storm, and we have a fair bit of wind taking down tents, but that's Okay. We'll get our vitamin D with some sunshine or come on inside with those masks. But Jesus is our refuge. So in light of this proclamation of this God that is powerful, that is significant, and no adversary is going to stand against him, they're actually going to melt away. But I don't know if you noticed in there, there was still this truth that there is a good stronghold. There is one that is refuge for those that trust him. And a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to this podcast on the the historical moment that we find ourselves in and what that means for the church and for those that follow Jesus. And it was essentially a long survey of recent history and the shifts in global dominance and um, how that impacts ministry in the West predominantly. But what stuck with me from the host reference in Uh, his categorizing of history was his talk about the ending of the American century and devised as a way to imagine the world in the the wake of World War two essentially by the Council of Foreign Relations they came up with this plan this roadmap that called for this global influence or dominance through uh, military through technological advancement and arguably a moral superiority compared to the rest of the world. And as this host then unpacked the Cold War and our constant need as a nation to have a them, like an opposition, an enemy of all that is good and right, it was actually a little chilling to hear kind of the stark reminders of where we have been through even a short history of my experienced life. But then what struck with me as an unpopular opinion that he shared was his claim that this century was essentially over, that American influence had come to an end, that we were no longer that great one. We were, in fact, instead a waning superpower, once at the center, shifting to something different in our experience. It wasn't lost on me that this historian and kind of a cultural anthropologist was an Australian. So of course, his blood didn't boil when somebody said, America's power is over and they've lost it. And mine did a little bit. I, I I don't think I swore when he was talking about it, but I definitely recognized in my um emotions just some like this is my team. How dare you say my team is no longer the most powerful team? But then I uh, was able to reflect and think about it what would it have been like to be Um, in Egypt its dominance or even in Babylon or part of ancient Greece or Rome or even think of uh, the United Kingdom and their once vast empire and maybe in the future even to think what those that are currently in China should think about when their dominance wanes should the Lord tarry and so all this then paired with the study of the minor prophets had me zooming out quite a bit from our cultural moment trying to let the long arc of history shape my approach to the present like how do we live now what do we rely on what do we put our hope in and then how do we influence others around us eugene peterson about Nahum, says that the stage of history is large larger than life figures appear on this stage from time to time swaggering about Brandishing weapons and money, terrorizing and bullying. And these figures are not, as they suppose themselves to be, at the center of the stage, not in fact anywhere near the center. But they call attention to themselves and often manage to get a significant number of people watching and even admiring them. And at any given moment, a few superpower nations and their rulers dominate the daily news. But every century, a few of these names are left carved on its park benches, marking rather futile and in retrospect, pitiable attempts at immortality. Nahum essentially speaks to just such a nation, a once upon a time superpower that no longer exists even. One that stood in opposition to God and to his people. A power that claimed to be the center of existence. Nothing else mattered. They were at the the, the world's center. But they won't survive. Because the true center actually takes his place over all that oppose him. And he will not let them remain. And even then there is a refuge. A safe place, a sanctuary for those who trust in him, the true center of all things. Now, Nahum is a unique prophet. It's an oracle concerning Nineveh, the nation that you will remember from our study of Jonah. This is the place that that fishy prophet called to repentance. And it's the same place and people. And they actually repented, if you remember, in Jonah. But now we understand them a generation later that they've gone back to their evil ways and they've grown all the stronger. This is the Assyrian Empire, the dominating power of this age. And it's as if they were too big to fail. No one could come against them, no one could stand. Uh, against their assault on them. And Assyria conquered and reigned with this, this this human hubris as if none had come before and none would follow after. They were clearly the best. They thought they were the end-all, be-all. And this prophet speaks to Nineveh uh, around 660 to 630 Uh, before Christ and it's uh, given by Nahum of Elkosh, this community or this village in southern Judah and it confronts the empire that holds at the moment the people of Israel in exile. So the northern kingdom had already been taken off into exile to Assyria and this is the message that God sends to their oppressor. And it's, it's an aggressive book. Uh, hopefully, you notice that even just from the first chapter, that though they're strong, they're going to melt away. Nothing is going to stand against God. Judgment, destruction, and woe are called upon the enemy of God. And the resolution to all this, through the whole book of Nahum, is essentially their end. Assyria is going to meet their demise because ultimately they stand in opposition to God. And as we hear of the coming wrath and vengeance of the Lord, though, I think we gain some insight into God himself, and that has been our goal for this whole series in the Minor Prophets, to see what the prophets say of God. And what Nahum says is that Jesus is our refuge. So how do, how do we get there? How do we get to that truth that Jesus is our refuge? I think we have to start with the truth that those opposed to God always fail now israel is in exile so you can say that they failed in a sense right they were disobedient they lived for idolatry and oppression they're uh, disobedient to god and his covenant with them of how they were to live as we've already heard though exile is not only just their punishment but it's also the place of the rescue of god's own so this is where they're going to be transformed. This is where they're going to find redemption as they're moved away from what they previously had. But Assyria is actually worse off than Israel at this moment because they stand against God himself. The nation has claimed for itself the center of the universe, something that belongs only to God, like only to his reign, to his influence, and to the glory of his name. And they have shamed God's people. They have disrespected. They have um, come in in the the, the gravest of ways. And there's a disregard, a disrespect, an aggressive violence toward God as experienced by his people. Yahweh to Assyrians is treated as just some substandard deity. And that treatment, how they view Yahweh, is actually going to be their ruin. In Nahum 3, we hear woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey, the crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all the countless whorings of the prostitute graceful and of deadly charms who betray nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face. And I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Some of that imagery might make the the younger among us kind of giggle a little bit. But this this is the way of shame in this culture and this time. And this is still an experience of shame. If you still worked this way with someone, this would be a shameful act. And there is wrath against sin for Nineveh. The, the Lord is taking vengeance on his adversaries and the enemies of his people. His way is the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds or the dust of his feet. So the one who controls nature is powerful, and none can stand against him. In chapter 3, oh. verse 19, he says, There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is. Grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? The world is going to rejoice at your demise when you fall because of your opposition to Yahweh. So you can't oppose God, you will fail. It's not like you get to choose either submit to God or oppose God and things are going to be gravy if you go either way. It is either you submit to God or you will fail in opposition to him. There is a clear outcome in Nahum, but still that name Nahum means comfort and what a fascinating name That this prophet has. It is spoken to Assyria, but it's heard by Israel and kept as a reminder of how God deals with his enemy. So Israel in exile needs hope at that moment, right? Like maybe they've clung to this promise that we've seen before that uh, exile is going to be the place of their rescue and redemption, but they're in the midst of exile at this moment. They're feeling the separation from their place, from their way of life. And God gives them hope. Those that oppress them, that shame them, will be destroyed. And this is the light at the end of the tunnel, for Israel, now, I suppose in some ways we can claim that same comfort that when it seems that evil has its day and its way without any encumbrance, that God is still on the throne and will ruin all the, those that oppose him. So for God's people, the, the message is vindication is coming. You will be saved and you will see those that oppressed you crushed but it should also i think stand as a warning and a quickening for us as individuals and as a people because nineveh is a type this city in Nahum represents systems represents governments groups and individuals that oppose the lord and his people that reject his place at the center and attempt to capture it for themselves you can see that this is the way of the world in the New Testament in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about like you used to be following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind this is the soup of the culture of the world and occasionally there are powerful nations that try to rise up and claim this central place but they are just going after the passions of their flesh their desires and they are just naturally children of wrath it's the truth that the way of opposition just won't last it is actually destruction and instead of something that fails that doesn't last. We need something that lasts. We need something that we can cling to that will keep us forever. We have a human hunger for good things that last, right? You you you'd say that. You, you don't want that flame and yawn to you know get to the last bite of it. You want it to keep going. If you suffer from gluttony, like me, right? How many of you have seen or read the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? right? And there's the everlasting gobstopper. And the great idea is that this is a piece of candy that never loses its flavor, never loses its form, that you can, you can have one piece of candy for the rest of your life and it will last forever. And that's an image or uh, it's, it's just, it represents our human desire for good things that last forever, Nahum, in the negative, by showing how the course of the world is not going to last, actually points and pulls God's people back to this lasting kingdom. To God's realm, his reign, and his way. A kingdom that is open to all, a kingdom worth giving ourselves to. And while it's not explicit in Nahum, it doesn't seem to be an opportunity for Nineveh, re- repentance is the only option, Right? And we know Nineveh did it before. They learned repentance before. They turned from wickedness and turned to the Lord. It's the sign of Jonah saying no to sin and opposition and saying yes to something better than destruction and demise, right? Saying yes to life with God. And friends, we live at this moment in the age of Jonah when you can still turn and come to God in repentance, renouncing your rebellion to him. But this prophet tells us that the age of Nahum is actually coming and judgment will have the last word for those who never turn from their opposition to God. So we that recognize we were once opposed can actually turn in repentance. And when we do... Naam tells us that we find our safe haven for life because those that are opposed to God will fail but the Lord is a refuge the prophet leads with this promise he says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and in verse 7 the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble he knows those who take refuge in him the, the Hebrew there is he welcomes those who turn to him you know, we know that what happens to his adversaries, but this is who he is towards those who trust him, those who run to him, those that see him as the center of all of existence. And he is a hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anybody that comes to him looking for help. And it's, held from Nahum before Israel and as they hear of the judgment of Nineveh. And when we turn to the real center where he is, we find redemption, we find security, we find safety, we find real life in him. And repentance is the way of rescue in the face of rampant opposition to God. That we can turn and say, I'm not going to oppose you anymore, but I'm going to surrender to you instead. And the security for us comes with the promise of an end of affliction and the breaking of yokes of slavery over you. Brought by the one that is announcing the kingdom, one that is coming with good news. You saw it in verse 15, behold upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace keep your feasts O judah fulfill your vows for never again shall the worthless pass through you the worthless is utterly cut off so this is a a promise for judah to keep going to keep trusting yahweh because the one who publishes peace is coming this, friends, is a type, this is of Jesus. This is showing us what ultimate redemption looks like. And we know that he took on our humanity in order to live obediently before the Father in our place. And he preached the arrival of the kingdom and the way of life with God as the center. Like, he set the model for us, and he told us this is what it looks like to rather than oppose God, to live under his authority. And when he comes and he does it, it unsettles his adversaries. And even the devil tries to tempt him. The religious call him a heretic, and Rome sentences him to death. But Jesus took on all of that, all of the shame for us. And he owns it on the cross for us. This week uh, in my morning devotions was reading Psalm 22. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. This is the experience of Christ on the cross. And the Savior who endured the cross, despising the shame, because the other side was, uh, on the other side was salvation for those who would believe. He would take that on for us. I think it's fascinating that shame is so regularly throughout Nahum because we know something of shame. Sometimes it's because of our own sin. Sometimes it's because we've been sinned against. But our great Savior took on all of it so that all those who look to him can be assured of the end someday very soon of all shame. So think of it right now. The, the thing that gives you the most shame that you feel shame about, whatever it is. Maybe it's just some sin, it's brokenness, it's, it's words that you've heard over you, or it's your situation that you're in. And, and realize in this moment, as you're thinking of whatever that is, that because you have claimed Jesus as your refuge, do you know that that shame is his? It belongs to him. He actually lifts that burden from you, and he loves you, and he welcomes you with open arms and a smile says, that shame doesn't belong to you anymore. Surrender it to me because he is for you. One author says, Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection has brought the ultimate end of every human authority opposed to God. He conquered not by killing but by being killed. The result is that one day every knee will bow, either in worship or under his rod of iron. For those who have taken refuge in him, we don't know the answer to how long we have to wait, but we know that salvation has come and is coming in Jesus. And this is the one that publishes Peace, that he is now the judge, and all Ninevehs will fall before him. Paul, preaching in Athens, tells the Athenians that the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is now the judge that Nineveh will stand before, that those opposed to his uh, name and way will stand before. But those that have come before him for salvation, to whom he is a refuge, we actually rest in his finished work for us. We no longer follow the course of the world because, as Paul says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were opposed to him, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace Grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The one who publishes peace has come and he has claimed you out of shame and opposition and brokenness and sin and says, You now have a new life. You now have a new way. Jesus is our refuge and there is none like him. And he's our refuge once for all. Like he's where we stay, he's where we go over and over again. And from his grace, then, we find life, purpose, and community all will be set right we can be hopeful and patient the gospel frees us not only from god's just claims against us but from the dominion of the world the flesh and the devil and in saving god overthrows and destroys dominions that are opposed to his rule and that oppress his people you are freed you are secure and you are kept safe forever because he is now our home so Nahum gives us peace while we wait That the enemies of God and his people will be destroyed. The one who publishes peace is our refuge. That should give you strength to face whatever you are going to face in life. Whatever you have to wake up to tomorrow, you can know that still Jesus is at the center and he has promised to keep you and all those opposed to him will fall. He is your refuge. Find peace in him. And Nahum also gives us purpose while we wait. Because we know those that are in Christ have have been sent essentially to call all others that oppose God to repentance. That God has appointed a time to judge and now is the time... For repentance, and as agents of reconciliation, we can call systems, movements, nations, and people to turn to the center of all things, the only true refuge, to find forgiveness, to find life and hope. Jesus is our refuge, and may many more find that same hope. In the arc of history, many nations have come and gone. Many more will come and meet the same end as Assyria, as all those who have gone before that have opposed God. There is, however, you guys, a lasting kingdom. And the king is a friend of mine. Take refuge in Jesus. Surrender yourself to him and to his way and let nothing stand in the way of that for the rest of your life live as a citizen of his kingdom for your good and for his glory, that you would know the good stronghold that keeps you forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're slow to anger and great in power. And that rather than just clearing the guilty, you provided a way of satisfaction of wrath through your son on the cross for us. That you are good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and that you know those, you welcome those that take refuge in you. But we are those people that have come yet again to turn to you, to take refuge in you, to find our safety, our security, our hope, in you lord we repent of the ways in which we have opposed your name or your way and we turn once again asking for the strength to live this purpose that you've given us or maybe for some today this will be the first time that we've surrendered all of who we are before your throne knowing that we're going to kneel before you no matter what We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, transform us into the people who it's clear have taken refuge in you. And Lord, use us to proclaim in this age of Jonah repentance and forgiveness in your name, that your kingdom would grow, that your kingdom would expand in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.